We read these words, Ephesians 1, verse 9. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. Now, let me say something first of all to the boys and girls. Uh, let's see who we got here. Who's all here? Samuel, have you been on holiday yet? No? You're thinking about it. You're planning going. Okay. Well, guys, during this morning, you might hear a very, very loud bang. Do you know what that's going to be? Four buildings, you're right. Four buildings are about to be blown up. Um, I think they're about to be blown up during the service. Uh, Why are these buildings being blown up? Because nobody, I think you got it right actually, because nobody wants to live in them. <laughs> well, some people want to live in them, but they're, they're big, to be honest, they're big, ugly buildings. I'm really, really glad they're blown up. And I've got a list for the council of a few others. That, um, I was saying, Amber, when we go past that there's some other Maltese and the Unitarian Church on the way, they could just get them at the same time. Um, but, yeah, they've been blown up. But if you didn't know that, and you were walking past and you heard this big bang and a building collapsed, what might you think? You'd be quiet. Would you be scared? I think I would be really, really scared if that happened. But we know, we know what's happening. We know they're being blown up. because We know they're going to be replaced. And when you go to live in the hill town from now on, it'll be a really posh part of Dundee. We, we know that, that that's what people are trying to do. We've got, it's got a, it's got a uh, we say the word, a purpose. That blowing up is a purpose. Now, there's a very sad uh, blowing up that went on in the city of Oslo a week ago. And that was when someone planted a bomb that killed people. And that's a really bad purpose. I want to think of another purpose. Does, uh, do you guys like spiders? No. Maggie, you don't like spiders at all, do you? No. Uh, Spiders. I'm, I, I don't mind spiders, but last week or the week, two weeks ago, we were in a castle where they were showing us where they make cognac. And it was uh, a Scotsman who'd gone down to France and taught the French how to make cognac, which was wonderful. But it was in the, we're in this dark cellar, and the lady said to us that they have huge spiders that big in the cellar. And she said, We encourage the spiders. We want the spiders. Why do you think they want the spiders? What good could spiders possibly do? Apart from scare people away. Well, I'll tell you what. There was a purpose. There's a reason for it. Because the wine is stored in these big wooden casks. And there are termites that come and eat the wood. And then it causes all to be wasted. But guess what eats the termites? The spiders. So they encourage these spiders and they get bigger and they eat more termites, the bigger they get. So there's, if I say they were giant spiders, it's probably a wee bit of an exaggeration. But there was these spiders that were there. So even they had a purpose. And actually, here's a really amazing thing about these spiders is that if you looked at their webs, if you've ever looked at a spider's web, it's all pretty patterns. Well, and they're all kind of symmetrical and geometric. But these spider's webs were all weird like contemporary art or something. No, why were they, why do you think they were weird? 
That's a really hard one. You know why? Because the spiders inhaled the fumes of the wine. And basically they were drunk. So there's a cellar full of drunk spiders. Who, which I don't want to sleep there. But they were, and, that's, and you see these patterns are like that. It's really amazing. And just to be told that and to understand it. Now if I'd gone down into that cellar and looked at the cast and I knew nothing about wine and I saw these spiders and then saw the weird webs, I wouldn't understand any of it. But there was a lady there who was explaining to us. And I've told you all that because um, there's a lot of stuff that happens to us in life and we're thinking, why did that happen? And what's going on here? And we're going to look this morning at God's purpose. God has a purpose for us and it's a, it's a great purpose. God has a purpose in the world. And I want you, as we uh, look at God's word, to think a little bit about what God's purpose is for you. But maybe just one thing to take from it is this. God's purpose is to bless you in Jesus Christ. And we're going to explain what that means. So let's turn to Ephesians 1, verses 9 and 10. Now, I think that... Uh, these, these verses, actually, if you look at them, you're, you're, they are actually quite difficult. As is the idea of people telling you what they think God is doing. Sometimes we get really puzzled by what is happening. Sometimes we worry about the future. People think about things like global warming or the financial crisis. or uh, That can be on the grand scale, but on the personal scale, it can be things like health. It can be things like um, money, jobs. It can be concerns about family. We can be afraid of many things. We can have phobias about many things. Uh, Boys and girls, I said about being afraid of spiders. Do you know what that big word for that is? It's a great film. Arachnophobia, that's it. Arachnophobia. If you've ever seen that film, you probably would get it. But... It's, we have phobias. People can have phobias about lots and lots of different things. And people can get really, really worried. On the other hand, you get people who tr- kind of react the other way, who say, I don't care. It doesn't bother me. It's all going to burn anyway. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. The only thing that matters for them is, who cares what's happening as long as I can get what I want, my pleasure, right here, right now. And other people would think about this a bit more and they would say, yeah, I see that. I see that there are people who worry. I see that there are people who say they don't care. And then there are you lot, you're religious people, and you just run away and you hide in terms of religion. But none of that is what the Bible says. If we are Christians, we are to care and we are to be concerned. We are not careless and we are not callous. But we do not walk in fear because God has told us what is going to happen in the future, and he's told us what he's doing. Not in the details, but verses 9 and 10 of Ephesians 1 tell us what God's great purpose and God's great plan is. And it's very important that if you are a believer in Jesus, that that is the background to the whole of your life. There will be things that hurt you, things that concern you, things that worry you, And they will become all-absorbing unless you have this background understanding what God's purpose is. And it's very straightforward. It's not about you. That's the hardest thing 
to get hold of. It's not about me and it's not about you. We are second in this. There's a a rock singer uh, called Brian Head Welsh. And if you get a chance, YouTube or Google, I am second. Because he describes, it's a fantastic uh, little video where he describes how he lived his life with, you know, million dollar contracts and all the drugs and sex and everything else. And he lived his life just for himself. And it talks about, he talks about how he became a Christian, how one day he got up and he was snorting cocaine and he saw his daughter, his, I think she may have been four or five years old at the time, standing up and singing the lyrics of his songs, which were pretty horrendous. And he just thought, what am I doing? And eventually God led him to a church. He became a Christian. He went away for a couple of years as he studied the Bible. He came back, he recorded this video. And at the end of it, he just simply says this, my name is Brian Head Welsh and I am second, not first anymore in my life. Well, we are the, as, as we think about what God's purpose is, if we see it, first of all, it, it being about Jesus Christ, then that actually does help us enormously. When we try and make ourselves first, when we try and make ourselves the center of the universe, it just always goes wrong because we are not. Another thing I want to say uh, as we look at this is that there are those of us who are Christians who actually really doubt and question whether God's purpose is good. That's been the devil's tactic from the beginning. Did God really say Is this what God is about? The goodness of God is something that we can say, but sometimes we don't feel. And particularly in in terms of our own circumstances and our own lives. It's all very well to believe in the goodness of God when you're rich and healthy and everything's going well. It is not so easy to believe in the goodness of God if you're looking at it from your perspective when everything seems to be going wrong. Now, I think that once you and I are convinced that God has a purpose, and that's a good purpose, it makes a big difference in our lives. One or two people here, and probably not more than that, will remember a man called Bill Henry. Bill was an elder in this church. And this week, I was at Clan, uh, speaking at Clan, and I had the privilege of having somebody write a comment, various comments, who turns out is Bill Henry's grandson. And I was so delighted to hear he's a Christian and he's living and working in Glasgow and he's doing an arts project and so on. But he wrote a comment which uh, reminded me very much of something that Mr. Henry said. In fact, he he told this story from his granddad's point of view because his granddad had said it to him. Through in the hall there one time, uh, before it was all done up, I was through and we had a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. And that prayer meeting... Ten people came to it. And Mr. Henry, Bill, was quite a lively character, and he was hopping up and down on one foot. And I said, Bill, what are you doing? You got ants in your pants or something? He said, you know, he said, I am so excited. I've never seen ten people at a prayer meeting before. And he was really enthusiastic. And then he said a most amazing thing. He said, I have been asking the Lord for years to take me home. I've had enough. I want to, I've been asking the Lord basically to die and go to heaven. He says, right now, 
I'm asking him to give me another couple of years so I can see what's going to happen. And do you know, actually, two years to the day he told me that he died. It was really quite extraordinary. But his grandson was recounting the story to several people. And he was saying, his grandson was saying that it's just how we perceive things, what we look for. You know, if, if, if in your life you're just expecting to get battered, you're expecting things to go wrong. I used to have a poster that said um, things were going really bad. I'll, I'll paraphrase it because it's a long poster, but I'll paraphrase it to this. It said things were going really badly, so they told me to smile and cheer up. Things could get worse. So I did smile, I did cheer up, and things did get worse. Well, that's what we expect. We, 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 we sometimes think that we're being hammered and we're being hammered and we're being hammered. And we have this idea that it's for the glory of God, but we just do not see the goodness of God's purpose. We need to grasp and get an optimistic view of life, which is not, well, things will only get better or things are going to work out fine for me. But we need to believe that God works all things for the good of those who love him. Not because all things are good, but because all things work together for good. So in, this, in these verses, it's the mystery of his will. And I just want to go and ask some basic questions of it. And I hope that uh, you'll benefit from that. First of all, how does God make his purpose known? It says here, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. How? Because he did it through wisdom and understanding. He's given us wisdom and understanding. He's revealed it to the apostles and they passed it on to us. Galatians 1 verses 11 and 12, Paul says this, I want you to know, brothers, the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. How do we know God's purpose? Only if God tells us. We don't put two and two together and make 25. We, we know because God says it. How do we know what he wants? How do we know what he's doing? He explains it to us. It's like when we're in that chateau and all the different processes in making cognac. I wouldn't have a clue how it worked unless the person who was there knew and explained how it happens. Well, what is God's purpose? How does God make his purpose known? He reveals it to us. Now, what's important here is God has plans and God has purposes and God will bring them to pass. Forgive just a little bit of uh, philosophy of history, but those of you who read history and understand history, this is actually very important. History is not meaningless nor purposeless. We ask, what's the point? And when we ask that, there is a point. If you're a Marxist historian, you believe in, in what's called linear history. You believe that you start with human beings, very primitive state, and they evolve, and you get a more sophisticated society, you get a capitalist society, and eventually will evolve into a perfect Marxist utopia. Most people struggle with accepting that now. But there's a circular view as well of meaningless history. And that's the idea that just things happen, things happen, they go round and round and round in circles. Or there's the concept of karma which is held by most of the Eastern religions, which is, it's going to happen. You're bad in this life, you'll receive your just rewards in another life to come 
on this earth. That's your karma. Or it's the concept of fate. I watched a documentary once where there was an Amish uh, man who was looking, he was being interviewed and being discussed about um, a division that was occurring in his community. And he was a really cool guy. He was sitting fishing and he had a cowboy hat and the black sunglasses and the beard. And I mean, he was just like so mega cool. And he didn't bat an eyelid at all. And they said, they were talking about the trouble in the community. And they said, if this happens, what do you think is going to happen to our community? And he said, I guess if it happens, it'll have a purpose. And what if it doesn't happen? I guess if it doesn't happen, it'll have a purpose. And whatever happened, I guess it'll have a purpose. And he just carried on fishing. And I thought, I wish I could be that cool. It just nothing fazed him at all. But maybe he just was fatalistic. You get people like that. Whatever will be, will be. But the biblical version of that is, yes, it has a purpose. And we don't have to guess what that purpose is because it's here. God lets us know what his purpose is. Colossians 1 verse 25, which is kind of very similar to this. He says, I've become the gospel servants by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So God makes known his purpose through his word. What is that purpose? We were told. We're told here to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. The word mystery is used. It's a word that's used 28 times in the New Testament, six times in this book. It's not just of a secret, but rather of a plan. And again, let me say to the boys and girls, sometimes you'll whisper and talk to one another and you've got a secret and you're, you're, you, you don't want people to know. But God's mystery is different because he, he wants us to know and he tells us. And the plan is very straightforward. It's indicated, for example, in chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 32, where it says this, this is a profound mystery. I'm talking about Christ and the church. And God's plan is this, to bring together Jews and Gentiles, people of different races and of different backgrounds, to bring them together in his church. In chapter 6 and verse 19, he says, pray for me that whenever I open my words, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the gospel. In chapter 3 of Ephesians, the particular aspect is that the Gentiles and Jews are brought together to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. I do not understand at all. Martin Luther was a great, great guy, but he wrote one absolutely dreadful book on the Jews. And it's one of the most horrendous books that's ever been written. And I don't understand how you get, how there's been in Europe and including in Britain, there has been this tremendous anti-Semitism, this tremendous anti-Jewish. And it's, it's sometimes deeply rooted in people, far more deep than, than, than we would think. And people justify it by saying, well, now, you know, the, the, the gospel has come to the Gentiles and God has rejected the Jews. But that's not what the scripture says. 
The purpose of the church is to bring Gentile and Jew together in Christ. The Jews need to come to know Jesus as much as the Gentiles, but the purpose is not to divide, but to unite. The word that Paul uses here to bring everything together is a very, very unusual word in, in, in the original Greek. It means to sum up, to add up. Its only other occurrence in the New Testament is in Romans 13, verse 9, when it says, we're summed up in this sentence, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And what's being taught here is God's amazing purpose, and it's almost impossible to do justice to this in, 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 in words and in such a short time, but God's amazing purpose is to bring everything together in Jesus Christ, with Jesus Christ as the head. Now there's fragmentation and frustration. Now there is division. Now there is hatred. Now there is racism. Now there is sexism. Now there are all these different difficulties and problems which will always be there because of human sinfulness. But then when this finally happens, there will be harmony. Now things don't add up. Now if you try and put things together, you can't make sense of it all. Then you will be able to make sense of it all. Now you're looking at the side of the tapestry that has all the threads. Then you'll be around the other side and you'll see the beauty and the harmony of the picture. So God's purpose is this. God is going to restore harmony in the cosmos, which was lost, harmony in the universe, which was lost through rebellion and lost through mankind's alienation from God. It doesn't mean and this is important, it doesn't mean, as some people would teach, that everyone will be saved. Otherwise, the rest of this letter wouldn't make sense. And it's a basic principle of understanding the Bible. You interpret the Bible by the Bible. Don't pick and mix with the Bible. But it does mean what Paul says in Philippians 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Part of that unifying process is going to be the destruction of evil. Part of that unifying process is going to be casting out into the outer darkness all that would cause disharmony and fragmentation. The only part of this new heavens and this new earth it's going to be, are going to be all who are in Christ. We are united in Christ. Now, one of the reasons that Paul writes that here is he's, he's saying there's a division between the church and the world. His concern is when there are divisions within the church. Surely we're going to be together. The church, past, present, and future. The angels, the universe which Christ created and sustained. Everything is going to be gathered together and everything's going to be summed up in Christ. So what is the purpose? What is the meaning? Our uh, Amish Stoic philosopher, it will have a purpose. It will have a purpose. It will have a, yes, it will have a purpose in Christ. Now, that is difficult to grasp if you're talking about the death of your child. What is the meaning of that? I don't know, but it will have a purpose in Christ. That is difficult to grasp when you're talking about the Holocaust. That is difficult to grasp when you're talking about all the different things that go wrong in this world. And yet somehow we're saying God is going to take all this fragmentation and disharmony and evil and violence and war and destruction and he's going to bring it together in Christ. 
as visiting Ralph in um, Perth prison this week. And you know, no matter how people try and glamorize prison, you, can, you should never glamorize prison. And one of the, when I was visiting him, the, um, there was a lockdown. Because one of the guys from Aberdeen had been beaten up by one of the guys from Fife. And the guy from Aberdeen who had been beaten up was a drug dealer who had a lot of money. So he paid two other guys to go and uh, beat up and stab, actually, in prison, the boys from Fife. So the Fife boys, so there's a whole lockdown. Absolutely horrendous. Just such violence and violence and violence. And uh, Ralph was saying, I, he said, I just love the Sams. Because they keep saying, protect me from violent men. From getting involved in that. Because hum- it, that's how things happen. That's how things occur. There's this fragmentation and destruction. And that can happen in, in the church as well. Not that we go up and thump one another perhaps. I hope not anyway. But what can happen is, you know, you could be walking out of church today and somebody could say something to you that wasn't quite right. And you could go, oh, I'm really hurt by that. And then you could go and say something about them to somebody else and then they could hear about that and then they start and before you know it you've got civil war in the church with people doing it all in the name of Jesus and and Paul says no no listen to me listen God's purpose is to unite us all to bring us all in harmony in Jesus Christ all things the church past present and future the angels the universe which Christ created and sustained everything is going to be gathered and summed up in Christ how will that happen Well, we're going through Ephesians, so as we go through this, Paul will tell us how it happens. I'll just summarize it here, and it's very, very straightforward. When you and I make a plan, we try and work out if we can make it work. What is our ultimate goal? How will we get there? Perhaps we have a series of minor goals. If you've ever gone on to the Weight Watchers uh, weight loss program, they give you a target goal, and then they give you secondary goals and daily goals and so on. Or a lot of the time, our plans just don't work out. But God not only has a plan, he has the ability to work out that purpose and plan. Proverbs tells us that many are the plans in a man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. So God's plan is in Christ. It's in Christ's ministry, his death and his glorification. Christ being the center of all things. And Ephesians tells us how that is worked out. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 10, talks about the salvation of individuals. Chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, talks about the reconciliation of diverse groups of believers, where rich and poor, black and white, male and female, Jew and Gentile, are brought together in Christ. Chapter 3, verses 1 to 12, continues that theme with the reconciliation of these groups in one body, the church. Chapter 4, verses 1 to 16, talks about how the church lives out a life which is worthy of that great cosmic purpose. And in chapter 4, verse 14 onwards, he then looks at some of the hindrances to this, the doctrinal error, the hindrances of old habits, and the devil's schemes. But the point is, God's purpose is going to be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He purposed it in Christ. He will fulfill it in Christ. He will see, the Bible says of Uh, Psalm 22, at the end of Psalm 22, it says of Christ, he will see the work of his soul, the travail of his soul, and be satisfied. It's funny, isn't it? You get a Christian teaching, a kind of theology which says God has a purpose for you. But if you get it wrong, that's God's purpose stuffed. So there's plan A, 
there's plan B, there's plan C, there's plan Z, and there's some of us who, um, if that was the case, we're on to double Z, or to translate to show them bilingual, double Z for those of you who are American. But it's double Z. That's where we're at. If we keep thinking, well, God has a perfect plan for me, and I've got to do this in order for that plan to be fulfilled. No, God has a plan for the universe, and he has a plan that that universe will be united in Christ, and you are part of that plan, and God will keep you. God will sustain you. God will take you on. All the other things that go on in your life that for you are the major stuff, it's not actually. It's relatively minor. It will be fulfilled in Jesus Christ. God's plan is going to happen. God's plan is happening and is occurring. And you needn't think that somehow, if you screw up and get things wrong, that you have the ability to destroy God's plan. No, you don't. When's it going to happen? Well, we're told here as well, when the times have reached their fulfillment. He uses a word here which means management of the household. It's not saying that God predetermines every event individually, but that he manages all the events so that they work together for good. God is not the chess player moving inanimate objects around saying, okay, I'm going to make that person trip and fall over just now. I'm going to make that person die. That is not how the sovereignty of God works. But what God does is he sets secondary causes, such as our free will, such as circumstances, such as our actions, so that we are responsible. But he can see and so work all these secondary causes that he makes it all work together for good. And in particular, there are two things where that fulfillment is seen. In the first coming of Christ, Galatians 4 verse 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. That we might be able to cry out, Abba, Father. The time had fully come when the Romans had taken over most of the Mediterranean, when there was one language which was largely used, Greek, in worship. When there were roads that people could travel on. When it was just the right time for the wise men to come from Iran and so on. All those things God arranged when, and then Christ came. Christ's coming was not an accident. But that fulfillment is also seen when Christ returns. And we, we don't have time to read it just now. But if you can read Second Peter chapter 3 where Peter talks about people saying... What are we waiting for? People are mocking us, saying this coming of which you spoke, where is it? And he's saying Christ will return and he will bring everything together. And meanwhile, this is how we should live as we're waiting for Christ to return. So Paul says there's this great, great purpose that God has. It's his good pleasure. It's in Christ. It's, it's being put into effect. It's begun really with Christ's coming. And it will end when Christ returns. And meanwhile it's messy. And meanwhile it's dirty. And meanwhile it hurts. And meanwhile there are tears and sorrow and pain. But at some point there will come a time when God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Where there will be no more sorrow. No more sin. No more suffering. And that's God's great purpose and God's great plan. And that means that every single plan that we have is so tiny in comparison with that. 
Now, how do we apply this? I want to apply it in two ways. Although it's not about us, yet it is in a strange kind of way. Get this right and you'll, you'll, you'll grasp this for yourself. If you make the universe and the world about yourself, and that's all that really matters, that's all that you feel, the only world that exists is the one that you know, the one that you feel, the one that you experience, the one that is about you, then you'll never ever get there. It's like banging your head against a brick wall. But if you make it about Christ, then what happens in Jeremiah 29, 11 says this. See, the previous verses he's been told, seek the good of the city to which I've called you. Not your own. Seek the good of the city for which I've called you. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. We get this so wrong. Do you know why we seek God? Do you know why we try and pray? Because we want something for ourselves. We want to be close to God. We want to feel. We want, we want all these things. We seek, in other words, the gifts that we may have them for ourselves. But God says, I want you to have those gifts. But the only way to get them is to stop seeking for those gifts and to seek for me. To understand. My plans are to prosper you and not to harm you. So why are you busy looking for all these different things and not looking for me? If we are in the will of God, if we pray anything according to the will of God, says Jesus, we have it. If we are in the will of God, that is the most important thing. I think another way of applying this is to think about Paul and his great vision. What use is it? I mean, why is Paul writing all this, this, this huge idea of cosmic reconciliation, this huge idea of harmony within the universe? Not the reverse idea that some of the Eastern religions have, which talk about the great oneness and the harmony and the peace within. Paul's talking about the harmony and the peace that comes about through Christ, that right now things are messed up, but God is going to work all that through to bring this great unity and harmony and peace. What's the use of all that? Well, Paul's in prison when he writes this. His wrist is chained, his body is confined, and yet his heart and his mind inhabit eternity. He looks back before the foundation of the world. He sees the fullness of time. This is what is called having a broad mind and a great vision. Verse 18, we'll come on to it. It says this, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The trouble with you and I is not that we have desires, it's that our desires are so pathetic. It's like... Um, I hope Animal doesn't mind me saying this, but she um, followed that bread-making class that we had and made some bread yesterday. And it's fantastic. And I got this morning there, and I had some. And she caught me this morning before breakfast, having double breakfast, uh, some of the bread, because the bread's really, really beautiful. Now, it may seem just a sort of slight contrast. I'm going to find it really, really difficult to go back to Tesco's pre-packaged 7p loaf or whatever it is. I mean, okay, I know it's food, but it's kind of like plastic food in comparison. And there's a sense in which you and I in our desires, we're asking, oh, Lord, give us this, oh, Lord, give us that, and we're struggling with this. And God says, you have no idea. Eye has not seen. Ear has not heard. Mind has not conceived. The God has prepared for those who, things that God has prepared for those who love him. It's not that you're asking too much. It's that you're asking too little. You're not seeing enough. 
We need to see time in the light of eternity, not the other way around. We need to see our present duties and obligations in the light of our past election and choice by God and our future perfection. The great teaching that's in here, the great doctrine that's in here gives us the right perspective which leads us on to praise. We don't praise in order so that we may see. We praise because we do see. Life becomes worship as we bless God for what he has given us in Jesus Christ. And that's what I ask for both you and I. You know, it's good going on holidays. We had a great holiday. It's lovely to come back. But one of the things about going on holiday is you back off from stuff. And when you back off from stuff, you can get a bigger picture. And that's really essential. Yeah, we have to do the in-close stuff. We have to do the immediate stuff. But I think that sometimes in our lives, we don't see the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. Why? Because we're obsessed with the present. We become obsessed with the relatively trivial. And what is relatively trivial becomes of supreme importance to us because we don't see Christ. and We don't see what Christ is doing. And this is all God's purpose in the whole thing. And if we do get a little bit of a bigger picture, it freaks us out. It really scares us because it looks as though it's all going wrong until you back off completely and you see the full background to this that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your purpose. We thank you that it does not exclude but includes us. But we thank you that it is not centered and focused on us. But that it is centered and focused on Christ. We thank you the universe is his and was made for him. And we thank you that we are his and made for him. And I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you in all your glory. I ask that you would reveal yourself to them. And I pray for those of us who say that we do that the foolishness and the insanity and the trivialities of the things in this world that so oppress us, that we would see them for what they are and we would behold the beauty of the Lord Jesus. For we ask it in your name. Amen. You've been listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk That's www.stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, as well as Christian commentary on the latest current affairs in Scotland, please visit the website of Solace, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solace-cpc.org Once again, that's www.solas-cpc.org Thanks for listening.